Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 to 18, on page 13. Um, about Abraham and Abimelech. Now, Abraham moved on from there into the region of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took him. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I've done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, the not of my mother and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Father, we do thank you for being a God who does speak to us, a God who uh, knows our hearts and a God who wants, uh, who calls us to to know you and to know uh, your heart for us. I do pray, Lord, as we uh, unpack chapter 20 of Genesis, Lord, that you'll um, give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts that are open to receive your word this morning. And as we do that, Lord, may we be a people uh, who have, uh, who who do turn to you, who have convictions uh, in the gospel and, and want to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, in 2019, there was a book that came out, and I'm, I'm curious to know who's read it. It's uh, a book called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Who's read it? 
So about three or four people have come across it at least. Uh, I listened to this audio book because it's, it's the type of book that you want to listen to at the gym because it's super empowering. Okay, this guy is just full or you know self-help, super super empowering type of a book. Uh, his name's David Goggins. He's the author. He's an ex-Navy SEAL, ex-Air Force, and ultra-marathon runner. His childhood, right, shaped who he is today, and he shares about how he was abused and he lived in poverty as a child, and he overcame that with the power of his mind and will. One of the lines in his book is this, you have to callous your mind to overcome your doubt and failures and keep moving forward. This was how he overcame the obstacles in his life especially the physical endurance he put his body through. It's amazing. You, should, you have to at least read parts of this book, read summaries if you can. Um, but in 2005, he entered his first ultra marathon, right? That's about 100 miles. Uh, it's a 100-mile race. He said at 70 miles, his kidneys failed and he peed blood. He had broken all the small bones in his feet, suffered fractures in his lower legs, shin splints, so it's so bad that he had to wrap compression tape around his ankles just to get through the pain. But he continued on for another 30 miles to finish the race. He persevered, even though everything was falling apart. It was all the power of his mind, he says. Again, in 2013, he pushed his body to the brink of exhaustion, break the Guinness World Record in pull-ups. He did 4,030 pull-ups in 17 hours. How crazy is that? In his book, he speaks about how everything is just its a mind game. Just, just think about it. If we just visualize the end goal, do some self-talk, we can push through any physical pain. He basically just kept telling himself he's the toughest, strongest, most determined man in the world. And it was that self-talk that helped him finish that first ultra-marathon. Now that sounds insane, doesn't it? Honestly. You know, the book is all about this empowering the reader. So I'm at the gym, I'm like, yeah, I can do all these pull-ups. Yeah, I can do it. It's a mind game, right? As I'm listening to this audiobook. But really, it's, it's crazy. Embrace the pain, he says. Be friends with pain. Use it as motivation. Yet as incredible as David Goggins is, I'm guessing most normal human beings, the majority of people, don't like pain. Honestly, come on. Most of us are, are nothing like this guy. He's, he sounds like a superhuman, fictional character. Yes, while some of us uh, tell ourselves, no pain, no gain, yeah, sure, we might say that at the gym, uh, most of us generally choose the path of least resistance, don't we? I mean, we've chosen to live in Brisbane because... Come on, Brisbane's the most chill city in all of Australia. Come on, right? We choose the path of least resistance. Even more so when I think about the Christian faith. For many of us, isn't that our general approach? Honestly, sometimes our hearts tell us, oh, just choose the easiest path. When God asks of us something that might be out of our, our comfort zone, isn't the temptation to put it in the too hard box? Every week, the pastor, he gets up and goes, hey, live for Jesus. And it seems like people, well, everyone around me seems to be getting it, but for me, when I look at my own life, oh, gee whiz, it's a struggle, isn't it? It's painful sometimes to persevere. It can be really hard to live for Jesus. Sure, David Goggins might be able to motivate you know, the marathon runner or gym junkie, but how does the Christian, how can the Christian pursue God, pursue trust and faith in God when it just seems so difficult to live out? You see, today in Genesis 20, we have a dude who totally gets it as well, a, a, a dude, Abraham. He shows us that sometimes even the best of us fail to persevere, to be consistent. And my hope today is that we'll learn some helpful lessons from him. We'll, we'll learn what it means to be pointed to the God who is faithful, the God who does persevere with us, even when we struggle to keep it together. And let's be honest, we all struggle to keep it together at times, don't we? 
Last week, we left off with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was a really heavy passage, if you were here, thinking about God's righteous wrath against the wicked. And this week, we find ourselves uh, with our main character. So last week was Lot and his daughters, his family. This week, we find ourselves with the main character of Genesis 12, 22, Abraham. Abraham, he's on the move again with his wife, Sarah. Let's read. Have your Bibles open. We're uh, going to look at this chapter, and I'm going to flip to some other ones as well. So chapter 20, verse 1. Let's read it. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Let's stop. Already we should feel some sense of deja vu. Uh, Abraham says, Sarah is my sister. Abimelech, the king of Gerar, took her in. Abimelech, just, just FYI, is usually the title uh, of uh, the narrator has given to him. It's probably not his name. It just means a foreign king. Abimelech is, is in, in Hebrew is a, a foreign king, not his actual name. But we know what, you, know, you know what deja vu means, right? Deja vu, when you, you feel like you've been there before, you've already done this already. Uh, I asked Matisse because he can speak French. It actually means already seen, deja vu. And we should feel that right now because Abraham has done this before, hasn't he? He's thrown his wife, Sarah, under the bus. Flip with me to chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12. Just read a small section. Genesis chapter 12, verse 12 and 13. Chapter 12, verse 12. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my, wa- my life will be spared because of you. Chapter 12, he's saying, Sarah, tell them you're my sister. Here in chapter 20, isn't he doing the same thing? In chapter 12, where we started the series, we saw Abraham in a foreign land under a foreign ruler. There was a famine in the land where he was called to settle, so he took matters into his own hands and says, let's go down to Egypt, there's food down there. And in his fear, he asked Sarah to tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, if anyone asks, tell them that you're my sister, not my wife. So it will go well for me. He, fe- he feared that they would kill him and take his wife. Abraham, right, so far in our story, uh, people know Abraham too as the father of faith. But here we have a man who struggles with his faith, struggles to be faithful to God, and again takes matters into his own hands. Tell them, you're my sister. Already at the outset, we're seeing him struggle to trust God. But I'm also a bit fascinated by this account this woman, Sarah, that Abraham is married to. Think about this. She's, she's like 90 years old at this point. Why is, Ab- why is Abraham fearful that someone's going to take her as his, their wife? Surely she's got to be old and a bit wrinkly. Yet from this narrative, Abimelech does send for her, takes her in. What is going on? Who is this woman? Even at 90 years old. Wow, she must be a looker, right? Maybe, they, because they lived longer back then, 90s, they're middle-aged, I don't know, but she's got her 10-step skin routine going on, right? Something like that. She's beautiful. And what I do know here is Abraham's actions, at least, are pretty slack. Not only are you willing to throw your wife under the bus again and hand her over to another man. Back in, back in chapter 18, what did we find out? Let, let's go there as well. Chapter 18, verse 14. So two chapters before... Just one verse. Is anything too hard for the Lord? God is talking to Abraham and Sarah. I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. 
So just two chapters before, we're told that she's, she's going to have a son. Abraham, not only are you willing to give your wife over to another man, but she's most likely pregnant as well. Why would Abraham do this? Let's keep reading from verse 3, chapter 20, verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And did she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I've kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Verse 8, early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. This is quite interesting, isn't it? While we should expect Abraham to be a man of faith who fears God, who is the one who's acting righteously with integrity here. It's not Abraham, it's this foreign pagan king. We're told he's innocent. He did what he did with a clear conscience, clean hands. And God is saying, yes, yes, sure. But not only, but not only that, I've actually held you back as well from committing anything further. It doesn't seem fair though, does it? He was deceived by Abraham. And what we learn is that he's cursed by Abraham's actions. He and his wife and all the women in his household, they need healing, as we'll read later, verse 17, 18, that they need to be prayed for. Why does he and his household have to get cursed, though? Again, the context, right? Back in chapter 12, when it all started, God made a promise to Abraham. Do you remember? This is why we keep going back to the living by promise idea. The promise to Abraham, Genesis 12, I'll just read it to you, verse 1 to 3. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abimelech, who has taken Abraham's wife, is being cursed. Abimelech, though, wouldn't have done this if he knew that she, you know, Sarah was his wife. What we're reading through this, this account is that he, his conscience, is, he's, he's, he's arguing for himself, his conscience is clean. I didn't know. Uh, they didn't tell me that, you know, she was his wife. And it's interesting because what we're hearing is actually a bit of the ancient Near East culture coming through. Even as pagan as they were, they still had principles about taking other people's wives. You don't do that. Uh, but it, so it doesn't seem fair, does it, that Abimelech is being cursed. But at the same time, we've got to look at God's actions here. Through Abraham's deceit, God does something that is quite gracious, doesn't he? He actually approaches Abimelech first in his dream. And God, by his grace, you know, takes that initiative and warns Abimelech. God warns him about what he's going to get himself into if he goes any further. If he commits adultery by taking Sarah and has sexual relations with her. God appears to him, he warns him, and by his providence as well, providence and power, keeps Abimelech from going any further. God says, I have kept you from sinning against me. He didn't have to. But he does. You know, what I think is really interesting, though, as well, if we think about it, God is not only protecting Abimelech here, but he's also protecting Sarah's unborn child, isn't he? The one that God promised will happen. This child can't be illegitimate. It can't be claimed by another man. God's protecting that. Yes, Abraham's unfaithful, but God is kind and gracious in this situation. 
kind and gracious to this foreign king and protecting Sarah and her unborn child. What do we discover? Verse 8, after his dream, Abimelech says, Abimelech and his officials, they were very much afraid. They were afraid of Abraham's God. We're seeing this pagan king and his officials show that respect and reverence to this God, which we should expect from Abraham. Let's look at the second dialogue, because this is where we start hearing Abraham's heart come out, his justification for his actions. Verse 9, Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, well, I, 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 I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Now, yes, from chapter 12, there are differences, aren't there? Abimelech is not like Pharaoh, is he? Pharaoh puts all the blame on Abraham, gives Abraham no chance to reply or find out why, then expels Abraham from Egypt immediately. Abimelech here, he wants to know why. He wants to understand the situation. He's very, he's, he's curious. Abimelech wants to know uh, why Abraham would do this. And we see this really human side to this foreign king who has a, his heart, hopefully, in the right place. And we feel a little bit of sympathy for him, don't we? Uh, when we read Abraham's excuses, it makes us feel a bit disappointed as well in his character. Abraham says, I, just, I justified it because I thought to myself, surely there is no fear of God in this place. Surely they'll kill me if they find out. He assumes the people, what the people are like. But don't we so far know what the people are like? I mean, the king and the official, they were afraid. The king seems like a God-fearing man, deeply concerned for his morality, his clear conscience, clean hands. He's not like, you know, other kings. I hate, I, oh, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I hate when people judge a book by its cover, don't you? You know how people do that? When parents say, hey, don't hang out with that kid. He's got tattoos and piercings. It's going to be a bad influence on you. Oh, man, I'm not projecting here. But, you know, isn't that, isn't that why we have issues in our world today? Because people just judge a book by its cover? The whole Black Lives Movement. You know, why we know the names of people like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor? Because people saw the color of their skin and made an assumption, judged them to be dangerous? Come on. No one likes this people who judge a book by its cover. But I read this and I'm like, why am I getting angry? Because I'm guilty of that too sometimes. I base things on appearances. I'm sure I'm guilty of that. I make a call due to my ignorance. We all do that, don't we? Ignorance and naivety without taking the time to get to know a situation or a person. Abraham, he stuffs up here, doesn't he? He makes a judgment call and decides at this point, you know what? I'm not sure God is going to take care of us. As we, take, as we walk into this foreign land. I'm not sure these people are good. You can't blame him too. What did we just see in the last chapter? A whole city of sin. Chapter 19, the whole city of sin, Sodom and Gomorrah, wiped out, destroyed because of their, because of their wickedness. Abraham's probably just feeling the, the repercussions of that still. He's like, oh man, this place, the next place might not be any better. So what does he do? He takes matters into his own hands. I'm not sure God's going to come through to, for me this time. I need to take out my insurance policy. Let's just say you're my sister. Let's say that again. Then they won't kill me. Abraham, he gets into this sort of selfish, self-preservation mode where he can only think of himself and his own survival. You think, though, at this point of the story, chapter 20 of our, you know, come on, Abraham, you'd think you'd, you'd be trusting God, right? 
We've seen God protect him in battle in chapter 14. We saw God make a covenant with him in chapter 15. We saw him get circumcised in chapter 17 as an act of trust in response to God's covenant. We saw him even dialogue and freely negotiate with God in chapter 18. We're seeing an area, though, of Abraham's life here where he's struggling to trust. We're seeing an area of Abraham's life where he's struggling to persevere with faith, to be consistent with his convictions. It's disappointing that he completely misreads the situation, but it actually gets a little bit worse. With his reasoning, he starts pointing the finger. Verse 13, When God had me wander from the father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, here's my brother. When God had me wander from my father's household... Wow, he's making a little subtle dig at God, isn't he? You know, when God made me leave the comfort of my home, the comfort of my father's house, I had to protect myself. God threw me in the deep end. I did what I had to do for survival. Abraham, man, the father of faith, he doesn't always get it right, does he? He doesn't take responsibility for his sin. He chooses not to own it. He says, God, he shifts the blame onto God. You can hear it in his language. It's dripping with it. He had to leave his father, that place of security and safety. This God had me leave. You see, God wants Abraham to trust him, but Abraham is afraid to give himself over truly to God, fully to God. But not only does he not 100% trust God, he makes this other confession, doesn't he? He digs the grave a bit deeper here. Ever since that day, right out the gate, ever since that day, he's had Sarah lie on his behalf about who he is. Everywhere we go, and I'm sure he's been to a lot of places, say, I'm your brother. For us, it's been, what, eight chapters. But for them, it's been 25 years since he left. We've seen two instances now, Egypt and Abimelech. Two instances now, but I think we can assume there have been many more where he's used this tactic to preserve his life. And even now, still at 100 years old, that's how old he is right now in this chapter, he'd rather lie his way out of trouble because he's fearful of what these foreign rules will do, to, will do to him. There's this repeating sin of his, habitual sin. If I, not only, look, let me add another th- pain point here. What he says, he, he doesn't sound like a very good husband either. You can, you can show your love to me <laughs> by telling people I'm your brother. It's like if I said to my wife, Heidi, hey, if you want to show your love to me, you'll lie for me, won't you? Tell them, tell the people... I don't really like Taylor Swift. You tell them I'm not a Swifty. If they know, it'll, ru- it'll ruin my street cred. Just tell them, just lie for me a bit, all right? If you love me, you'll do this. It's not right, is it? Uh, so manipulative. Abraham, yes, it's half true. Son of my father, but not of my mother. But you're withholding an important factor, aren't you? That she's your wife. Over eight chapters, we've seen this. Him have divine protection, divine blessings everywhere he has gone, but surely, so sh- surely he should have confidence at this point to be able to trust God fully with everything, with every area of your life. 25 years, Abraham, walking with the Lord, and he still stuffs up. And as I read this account, though, I can't help but see myself in this story. Can you? A man who struggles with his face, uh, with his faith in the face of fear. Uh, Isn't that just so human? Uh, Isn't that all of us? Wouldn't we rather choose comfort over sacrifice? Control in the midst of uncertainty? To turn and run instead of to trust and follow? No one wants pain. Abraham is me. 
oh, 20 years I've been a Christian and don't I still make mistakes like this? Where I have areas of pride and selfishness, I point the finger at others, throw, under this, throw others under the bus so I can be safe. Aren't there instances where I want to blame God sometimes for the stuff-ups I've done in my life? Well, God, if you didn't put that annoying person in my life, I, I wouldn't have lost my patience. I wouldn't have got angry. Don't look at me. This is all on you, God. You didn't have to do that. I mean, surely. We've all done that, haven't we? At some point, blamed God for our sin. Abraham's sin is a heart that wants to self-preserve instead of surrender. My sin is a heart that wants to self-preserve instead of surrender. Yeah, the lyrics of that old hymn, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Isn't that you too? Friends, we need to learn a few lessons from Abraham's sin and this story with Abimelech. I've got two simple implications I want us to consider. They happen to be F words. Neither of them is the F word you're thinking of. But the first implication, this first F word, <laughs> is the forgiveness of God. F for the forgiveness of God. When we do that, when we understand the forgiveness of God, it changes everything. Abimelech, who came under judgment, who was cursed, had a way out. Forgiveness was offered to him. God says, God says what about Abraham, verse uh, 7. Abraham is a prophet. He will pray for you and you will live. So at the end of our passage, verse 17, Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his family slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Right? When Abimelech knew there was a way out, he responded, didn't he, with uh, repentance, with generosity to Abraham and Sarah. He received forgiveness. Friends, get this. We need a prophet who will pray on our behalf. What do I mean by a prophet who will pray on our behalf? Well, it's not one of those, those phony fake prophets that you get in the U.S., in America. I, I Google this. How to find a prophet. You should, it's just for fun. And this website came up that literally headlined saying, are you looking for answers in your life? Are you on a crossroad, not knowing what direction you need to go? Then you need a prophet of God in your life. Wow, it sounded like a tagline of an infomercial, you know? If you order now, you'll receive a free set of steak knives as well. It's just, it's just like, reading this, I'm like, what? You can just order a prophet online now? We don't need some fake phony prophet, all right? We need a prophet who actually has access to God. You know, the, the, the last prophet that God sent was actually Jesus himself. He functioned as a prophet. At this moment, in, in Genesis, at least, Abraham, he's playing the role of a prophet. He's communicating. He directly accesses God. But we have a greater Abraham in Jesus, don't we? The one who the Bible says is the final word, through whom prophets are no longer even needed. He's the one who, who Romans 8.34 says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. He prays for you and I. But he also is the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. It's through, it's through Christ all blessings flow. Remember in the Gospels, there's a story of about, about a paralyzed man that's brought on a map before Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus did? He says uh, to, this, to this man's son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. He is the greater prophet. He prays on our behalf. But he's also the prophet who lays down his life as a sacrifice for you and I. Sufficient so that forgiveness can be offered for all who trust in him. His death and his resurrection, it gives us that access, that VIP access, where we can have confidence in God's grace through faith that forgiveness has been secured. You and I are saved. 
It's not because you and I are good. Not because we've got a list of charitable works, as good as that is, as good as all the good things that you've done. We'll never make the cut, no matter how long that list is. (laughs) Abraham would have failed miserably as well. Like Abimelech, we need a prophet to intercede. We will fail again. We need the sinless Son of God. Jesus, our Messiah, we need His prayers. We need His forgiveness. And through Him, you and I are healed, redeemed, restored into a relationship, back into a relationship with God, and given eternity where there is judgment no more, where there is no more sickness or curse that's all done away with. Forgiveness given through faith in the greater Abraham that we have in Jesus. Which leads me to my second F word, knowing our forgiveness, even with our failures, will we pursue, a lot of Fs here, will we pursue faith in the face of fear? Faith in the face of fear. You see, what is going on with Abraham is that he has misplaced fears, doesn't he? The, the one who fears God in our narrative is our pagan king. Abraham stuffs up because he doesn't fear God. His fear isn't of God, his fear of man. He's afraid of what they'll do to him. And don't we all have that habitual sin that we keep coming back to because we're afraid to let go of our control and to trust God? We fear the the, the loss of certain things more than we fear the Lord. And when I say fear of the Lord, it's not being afraid of Him, like, like as in being scared like Abimelech was. But Abraham's fear of the Lord would be one of reverence and worship and trust, knowing that He is awesome and powerful, the mighty, majestic God at work. Abraham has seen that. He's experienced that yet he still fails to fear God in moments like this. Where do you struggle to have faith in the face of fear? What areas of your life do you fear to lose more than fearing God? Because if we aren't fearing God, we're fearing things of the world, aren't we? Is it your finances and wealth that you've accumulated? The the, the generosity and giving of our wealth and our possessions... That's an easy measure of our hearts, isn't it, that knows and fears God? Perhaps it's your status or reputation. You're afraid to be vulnerable, share your life, afraid that the world will crucify you for being a Christian. The workplace will shame you. Your peers will humiliate you. Your followers on social media will unfollow and hate on you because you shared a Bible verse. And you'll lose all the street cred you've worked so hard at with your non-believing friends, with that guy or girl that you have a crush on, whatever it is, are we, feeling, are we fearing the world around us more than we fear the Lord? Or will we pursue faith in Christ in the face of fear? You see, Abraham's story is a lesson to learn from. Yes, but to also point us back to God as well. Remember God's great work in your life, how he's protected you, how he's rescued you and carried you through your darkest times, How he sent his one and only son, Jesus, who didn't deserve judgment, so that you and I, deserving of judgment, could be saved. I mean, talk about fairness. That's not fair. But God, in his generosity, does that. We can have courage to face the storms in life. We can face the slings and arrows of what the world throws at us because we know a God who walks with us, even through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't have to fear the evil that may befall us, for he is with us. He walks beside us. Honestly, if you choose the way of the cross, life, it doesn't get easier. And too often we'll find ourselves in Abraham's shoes, stuffing up again. 
Yet let me tell you this, each time it happens, you'll find that little bit more courage. Like Abraham, who's able to admit his sin. Yeah, I've been doing this for a while now. You'll experience God and his new morning mercies, those daily graces. You'll be able to face those fears a little bit more because you'll see and learn to trust our God who is faithful to us. A faith that fears God. While it is painful and hard to take up our cross and to live for Jesus, man, it should pain us even more when we sin against our good and holy, generous God who loves us and cares for us, right? We need Genesis 20 to remind us of these truths. If you're here today and you're a non-believer, you're seeking, I hope this chapter gives you a little bit more direction and a little bit more comfort. It's easy to think, isn't it, that Christians, man, Christians seem to be so squeaky clean, good boys and good girls who've got it all together. Man, if that was the case, trust me, I shouldn't even be standing here on this stage. I'm thankful for Genesis 20, aren't you? Let's be real, Christians don't always have it together, but we have a God who does. It's in Him we trust even when we fail. When we can come before Him, we can lay down our burdens as we are, with our failures, with our mess, and you too can receive the forgiveness He offers in Jesus through faith in Him. For the Christian in the room, though, who is struggling with sin right now, yes, you try your best, but you fail again and again. In your heart, you know to persevere. You're not giving up on God. Wow, we should be thankful for Genesis 20 as well, where Abraham shows us, even in our unfaithfulness, we have a God who is faithful, who we can keep running back to and offers us forgiveness. I can encourage you in any way, just keep persevering. Don't give up. No pain, no gain, but Jesus has gifted you with his spirit as well. You're not alone. Sin has been defeated. You've been clothed with power. Don't wallow in the sorrow of your sin and shame, but keep running back to God in repentance, conviction, and prayer to the God who sanctifies us. Keep going. And lastly, for the ones in the room who are feeling fearful, have courage. Put your life in perspective. Who can harm you? What have you got to lose that you don't have infinitely more in Christ? Security in your money and wealth? You have that in Christ for eternity. You want freedom and not to feel enslaved? Christ has set you free from the shackles of sin that rules our hearts. Perhaps you're fearful that you'll lose your cred, your status, your rep. You'll be humiliated, shamed, crucified for being a Christian. Yes, that will be hard, no doubt. But you've been given a status that's even better. You're a child of God, the highest privilege in our universe. Friends, what have you got to fear when you have God on your side? David Goggin's book, Can't Hurt Me, it sounds like he's a tough guy, doesn't it? He sounds like he's really determined, he's he's some sort of superhuman. But the reality for the rest of us is we do feel the hurt. Sometimes we're fearful, we don't like pain. And too often we function in that self-preservation mode because we want to protect ourselves. And in doing so, we will often fail to live for God. Friends, have courage. Take heart. Get back on the horse. You aren't alone. You have Christ who has walked before you. He's offered forgiveness for our souls. Seek Him out. Live in faith, fear, and reverence of our God. Let's pray. Father, help us to boldly trust you. Father, help us to to trust you even when things are hard, to know that there is nothing to fear when we have you by our side. Help us to live in faith, trusting your promises, knowing that we've been forgiven and that we have been given everything in Christ. May that be our strength, Lord, our comfort, our courage as we make decisions, as we use our finances, as we choose our words, our actions, how we use our time, as we 
as we stand up for the gospel, as, as we get out of our comfort zone even. Help us to be bold. Give us that strength and comfort and courage. Father, help us to live by faith in fear and reverence of our mighty God and our Savior Jesus. It's, it's in His name we pray. Amen.